All right, welcome back, Questers, to another episode with Success Quest. I am your host, Caleb Valle, and I'm so excited to introduce to you guys our special guest for today. He is a realtor, an investor, podcaster, and U.S. Olympian, recent too. Um, I welcome to you guys, Hans. Hey, man, how's it going? Appreciate you having me on. No, I, we're so grateful to have you on, and you, you took some time out of your busy schedule to be with us. Um, first off, Hans, how, how do I say your last name? I, I actually probably should have asked you this beforehand, but I... <laughs> Yeah, you're not, the, you're not the first and probably won't be the last. It's Hans Struzina. Struzina. Yeah. Very cool. Well, Quester, this is something actually really cool. You can actually Google Hans Struzina and you'll find him uh, because he was in the U.S. Olympics in 2016 and you've been competing um, for a while. You want to go ahead and give us a little background to you and how you got started with that maybe? Yeah, man. For those of you who can't watch this, I got my little uh, uh, Olympic pin on my lapel today. Oh, yeah. So, I can see that. <laughs> um, awesome. Yeah, you can see it if you're on YouTube or whatever. Um, yeah, man. So originally, uh, so I grew up in the Seattle, Washington area, specifically the the east side of the lake. So Kirkland, Bellevue, Redmond, think uh, Microsoft. That's kind of the world where that started. And uh, rowing originally started for me in, let's see, ninth ninth grade, summer, summer after ninth grade as a family activity for my parent. My parents wanted to do something together with us and uh, they heard we could take our rowing lessons, which if you're from Seattle, you know, Seattle, it's a big part of the community up there because water is all around. Oh yeah. Uh, so we went uh, down to the lake at Lake Sammamish, which feeds into Lake Washington uh, and tried it. We went, I think we did like four lessons together and long story short is they said, you're pretty good at this. You're athletic. You know, you should try doing the fall team. And I, at that wow. time, I, a lot of the uh, kids my age had grown and I really hadn't. So height wise, I was struggling at basketball and football and some of those other things. And long story short is um, I, I did try it. I found uh, that I had a knack for it and was pretty good and just kept going basically. So I went onto the junior team and eventually made the varsity team. That led me to college, which led me to the national team, which led me to the Olympic team. Wow. So it just, it flew from that point on. Um, and so I, I'm curious, actually, when you were taking those first lessons, were you just like roasting everybody else? You were just like beaming it down. You were beating everybody. <laughs> you well, were faster. <laughs> I was, I was beating my, my parents. So, <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> uh, so, so yes, I get sort of, but, um, rowing as you can imagine is, is both a power sport because you have to be able to produce power on the oar to move the boat, but it's also a technique and finesse sport. And it's something that you cannot learn overnight. You have to do reps at, you have to train and perfect, uh, at a very high level, um, for many, many years. And that's what I was ultimately did of course. But, um, but yeah, I had a knack for it. I, I just, something about it just kind of clicked. And I, I don't know if it was my frame or my build, but it was, uh, it was a good, good fit at the time, especially. That's fantastic. And so you were, you were an Olympian in 2016 and I was reading mm -hmm. up actually on your website, you've, you've performed, you, you've gotten, um, medals nationally as well. Um, which is fantastic. Seriously. Congratulations. That's awesome. But that's Thank not you. actually what you're doing all the time. Every day. You're not every day just going out and rowing. Um, you not are anymore. also a realtor. Yeah, <laughs> not anymore. Not anymore. Um, tell us a little bit about your realtor background. Yeah. So, uh, fast forward after the Olympics, uh, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. Uh, and I, I threw a, 
mutual or a friend who actually became a friend, but was originally an Airbnb host of all things. Wow. Um, uh, reached out to me and said, Hey, we've got an idea for you. And he was in real estate. He was flipping some houses. He was a real estate agent. So he was selling houses. And he asked me to uh, be part of his expansion team that he was taking from Southern California in the San Diego area up to the Bay area. And he, he wanted me to be that person uh, to start that with him. Um, so I just took all of my hard work and my you know, work ethic and my time blocking and all that stuff that I learned through training and tried to apply it to real estate here in the Bay Area. And that's ultimately how I got my start. Wow, that is awesome. And I think everyone kind of like in the back of their minds is wishing like they can be like amazing at real estate. And you're, I mean, you're with the Gundaman Group. I mean, they're in the top 100 nationally ranked uh, real estate groups out there, aren't they? Yeah, you did your homework. That's yeah. right. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, I'm looking about that. I'm like, man, I'm kind of jealous. That's fantastic. I love real well, estate. So yeah, we're on the Wall Street Journal top 100 list. We've been on for a couple of years uh, by volume. I think we're the the number one team in the in the Inner East Bay, which is sort of Berkeley, wow. Oakland, Piedmont, Alameda. For those of you who know those markets, um, since I think 2011. So we've, we've been pretty productive for a long time and I can't lay claim to all of that, but I've been part of the team for just about uh, not quite two years now, but, um, have definitely gained a lot of experience and done, uh, done a few transactions myself with part with the team. That's fantastic. I know I was looking up everything. I, I really did my homework. I had to look you up. I was very intrigued with what you were doing. Um, but yeah, questions, if you guys are interested in real estate at all, like reach out to Hans, man. Like this guy on his website, he shows his latest um, homes he just sold or whatever. In 2019, he sold homes that were well over a million dollars, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. I mean, like that's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so, so good work, man. You're a hard worker you. for sure. You're all, and um, you're, you're obviously built to be a rower, <laughs> mm -hmm. which is very cool. I can't brag very much about my build, man. I'm just, <laughs> I'm a tiny guy. <laughs> Definitely well, not on my, my scope of things to do. <laughs> Well, rowing, there's, there's a position in the boat called a coxswain and it's the person who sits in the stern and has a microphone and, and controls the rudder. And uh, that person is not physically rowing, but it's definitely part of the team and is an important part of the team. Um, so that's where typically the small people who tend to find themselves. No in the way I can do it then. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's also immediately you're like, yeah, he's not built for it, but you know, you can, you can uh, steer the rudder. That's, that's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, you know, today, uh, questions, we're going to be kind of talking a little bit about Han's um, journey in life and what we can learn from him. I mean, he's obviously not that much older than I am, but he already has so much more experience than I can even fathom um, just kind of with life and dealing with life and successes and failures. Um, so Hans, maybe let's, let's kind of dive into um, you. What is your passion and what is exactly like, how did you get to be who you are today? Man, um, gosh, there's so many, so many places we can start. My passion, I would say is, is finding my passion at the moment. Cause I, I can't lay claim to having a direction or a specific thing or result that I'm shooting for. But what I do know is that what I want to do, I want to do at a very high level. I want to be the best at it. I want to be the best version of myself uh, in all of those opportunities and those moments. And whatever form that takes, uh, you know, that's, I'm fluid to that. But um, where it started is my 
probably my upbringing, like my, my grandfathers and grandparents for that matter, but particularly my grandfathers at the time were, were just powerhouses of men. One of them was uh, a, a developer, a commercial real estate developer in the city of wow. Seattle. He was, I remember one memory, he was uh, inducted in the Seattle Business Hall of Fame. I didn't know that was a thing. What? He, That's crazy. But he was brought into it, um, but came from nothing. Like he was literally flattening um, uh, fish, fish hooks on railroad tracks in his youth to catch dinner. Like he was, he was, like they had no money and he came from a lot, uh, from nothing and had very humble beginnings and built something pretty meaningful in the city. And then on the other side, my, my dad's dad, George, um, was uh, partially Jewish in Hitler's Germany, was recruited into the army at 16 wow. on the Russian front, lost his leg to a mortar attack, and long story short, saved his mother from a concentration camp and wow. became an engineer. Um, post-war, found his way to eventually to New Jersey, uh, where he helped build a couple of chemical engineering plants and, and had just made an incredible life for himself all with, you know, a leg and a half, basically. That's actually the craziest story ever. <laughs> Holy crap, man. And that's, that's where your legacy started, <laughs> right? Yeah. Like the whole, um, Struzina. I bet I said his last yeah, name you, 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 It's Struzina, but that's, Struzina, that's how yes. you would say it back in, uh, back in Germany or, or Poland. Um, okay. We're, we're from an area that, that is now Poland, but used to be Germany. So that's how they would say it. Okay. Yes. Perfect. Well, that's how that started. And that's obviously a very inspiring story. Is that kind of what you were like, man, I really got to step up my game for my grandparents. <laughs> yeah. And then, of course, that sort of trickles down through the generation to my parents. And then, you know, my, my mother was a dentist and owned her own dental practice for a long time. My father was an attorney. And, um, you know, there was, there was sort of a high expectation around not not like a blatant pressure, but a high expectation around performance in what you did, whether it was school or sports or uh, friends or relationships. Like you just, you you performed well and you were a good person to other people, but you also, you know, you got good grades and you, you, yeah. um, you did your best and you tried hard. And like those were really put into me at a very young age. Yeah. Well, I, we can obviously tell. I mean, you said you started the um, rowing in ninth grade? Yeah, I think that's wow. right. And then you kept that up. How, how was rowing? I mean, like you started this up, you probably were like, did you immediately think, oh, I'm doing this like with the end goal of being in the Olympics or you just wanted to be the best you could at that and then it just led to that? Yeah, man, absolutely not. I had no Olympic aspirations until, gosh, halfway through my Olympic or halfway through my rowing career, which I didn't know was halfway at the time, but it was about that. Um, my my initial thought with rowing was that I was just, it was a sport that I could compete at, that it didn't matter if I was undersized physically. It mattered more what I could produce on the erg, which is the rowing machine or on the water in the boat. Um, it didn't have to do with hitting people and out jumping people and that sort of yeah. thing, you know? So that aspect, plus I think my physiology just sort of lends itself to rowing, but I was always just focused about making the next boat or getting to the next level. So in my first year, it was like trying to get into the JV squad and then in trying to get to the varsity boat and then trying to be team captain and like, you know, just hitting these markers 
that whatever was kind of the next thing out in front of me, just a little farther out of reach, but I just had to work a little extra, do a little bit more um, to get there. But truth be told, my first year in rowing, I thought about quitting a lot. Oh, man. <laughs> because it's, it's very repetitive as opposed to track or to uh, football or basketball or soccer or baseball. It's like it's pretty unique practices are kind of different every day. Whereas rowing, you're trying to perfect a stroke and it's the same thing, whether you're on the land or you're on the water, like you're doing literally the same thing. And so I got bored. I got frustrated with all of that. Um, and I learned that as much as it's an external game, it's just as much an internal mental game. And you have to be able to put yourself into some places that are, um, that are pretty dark and pretty painful and, and still uh, still succeed and still perform at a high level. And that's ultimately where I found, um, some success. I found success. And then I found that kind of interesting about the sport and, and then just dove in head first. Yeah. So, so when was your first introduction to like, Oh my gosh, I could, I could be in the Olympics, you know, like I'm that good. Yeah. I'm going to start like getting in there. So, uh, I got recruited to college. I went to the University of Washington, which has an incredibly strong rowing tradition. Plus, it was my hometown team, and that was just oh, an cool. honor in and of itself. And and as a result of being having such a strong rowing tradition, we uh, end up pulling recruits from all over the world, not just all over the country. And so I had guys in my freshman t- class all the way up into the senior class who were from Croatia and were from New Zealand and from England and from Canada and Germany and all these places. And eventually I realized that I was either as good as or better than them in beating them on certain you know, fitness tests or races that we were doing. And I eventually found myself... Um, in the varsity boat for the national champion race my sophomore year. I was one of two sophomores who made that crew and we won the national championship. Wow. And then by next year, I became a pretty staple guy on the varsity squad in the varsity boat, um, top performer on a lot of the fitness stuff that we were doing. And that junior year was really the moment when I was like, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to make a shot at the Olympics. Wow. And what was that? What was that feeling? Were you even when you were considering going into the Olympics? Like, I can't even imagine like, oh my gosh, like I can do this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it's weird because it's this thing that you think you're ready for, but you have no idea until you're there. Right. And it's not, um, it's, it's hard because you can't describe that, that desire for someone. Cause a lot of the times like with, with jobs, right. Or with, um, social media or podcasts, like we can talk about, like, let's get to a thousand downloads, let's get, get to a hundred thousand followers. Let's get to, you know, a hundred thousand dollars in, in, um, yearly income. Like you've got these sort of metrics that are sort of measurable and stuff, but like the feeling of, of pursuing an amateur sport, um, because there was no money and there's no fame in it unless you're like in the immediate rowing community. Yeah. Um, it was, it was very internally driven and it was something that I was just like, you know, this for whatever reason means a lot to me and I'm just going to lean into that. I'm going to do the very best that I possibly can at it. That's crazy, man. And then, and then getting into the Olympics, you're there, you're in the moment, you're rowing. What are your feelings while you're there? Is there a lot of pressure? I mean, there's a, I mean, the U S is kind of like, everyone's watching you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, man. Um, the, there is pressure, no, no doubt about it, but I (laughs) went into that Olympics game, Olympic games having raced. So this is the thing. If you're at a level of a novice, let's just say, 
you would look at someone in the Olympics and be like, I could never handle that. Yeah. But because of what I said earlier, like I was always just trying to get to that next level in front of me, that next level in front of me. And by the time I got to the Olympics, I was like, this is the level I belong on. This is, I've proven to myself and proven to everybody else in the world that I belong here. And so, I mean, yeah, I was nervous because I cared, but I wasn't nervous because of the outcome or nervous because I wasn't ready. I showed up to the start line knowing I was as ready as I could possibly be. And I think every single guy, I think in my boat and probably in all the other boats probably felt something similar. It's like, we've done the training, like we're here and now we just got to send it and see what happens. That feeling of like belonging, you know, you worked yeah. all your life for something super hard and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is it. Like yeah. all these other physical anomalies here ready to race it out to see who's the best. I mean, that's just, that'd be such an incredible feeling. And I guess, yeah, you're right. It's like it's not, maybe not that nervousness of the results as much as like just doing what you love, you know? Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. There, there were, there were plenty of times along the way that I was nervous. I was worried about the outcome. I was, you know, whether it was just selection or the last chance regatta that we had to go through or actually showing up and racing the races at the, at the Olympics, like there's certainly a sense of nervousness, but, um, but I think that's like, I had a coach, I see it was my freshman coach who was actually ironically also my Olympic coach. Wow. And he, said, you know, everybody who is in this race, um, has two arms and two legs. They have a heart, they have two lungs. Like they operate the, they have a brain that's telling them all the same stuff that it's telling you. And they're not superhuman and you're not superhuman. They're not like, you're just people who are trying to race a boat. And he said, though, the difference is going to be not, can you not be nervous? but how do you handle those nerves? And so instead of trying to fight, you know, the butterflies that we all get when, when we get excited and nervous about something, like he talked about uh, taking those and instead of having them kind of jumble up and go in all those different directions, get them going in one direction. It's like, they're not going away. So send them down the race course, like send them all in one direction towards the finish line. And I mean, honestly, that's what I did in the Olympics. And I, I just knew I was like, this is exactly how I should feel. I should, this is good. Check mark that box, move on. Like, let's go do the warm up. Let's go get in the blocks. Let's, let's rip this thing. That's amazing. I, I love that. That's, that's wonderful advice just for life in general, you know, using the yeah, nerves for you um, and kind of funneling them in a way that's productive. I love that. I love that ideology. I never even really thought of it like that before. Um, can you, can you talk to us a little bit about maybe what did happen in the Olympics though? And you're not pursuing it now, right? That was Correct. kind of the last go. Right. So, um, in the final, we were ranked third, I guess, technically, um, cause we had won our repishage and then there were two heats and the people from the heats, uh, the winners went straight to the final and then we went to the rep and we won our rep. So I guess we were technically third. Um, but um, rowing, as I said in the beginning, is kind of this intersection between uh, sheer pain and maximum exertion and precision and timing. And when that precision and timing at that high of a level is, isn't there, uh, you don't end up with the same boat speed as a boat that's equally as talented but just has it. And that day, we just were percentages off, like probably less than a percentage off, um, just on a timing on some of the things that we, um, wanted to do. And we ended up finishing fourth, uh, which was an absolutely de- devastating blow, frankly, cause we, we went there for a medal 
We also went there with data and results through the year that proved that we could have meddled. Um, and it just, it comes down to those little tiny, you know, percentages here, percentage there yep. uh, that really make the difference in a second or two over the course of a race. Wow. Those little minute details. And, and go tell us a little bit about those feelings. I mean, you, you go forth is, I mean, obviously people, when they watch the Olympics, it's all about just even getting a single medal, third, second, first, but you guys right. got fourth. Was there like, oh, like I failed like that feeling. How, oh, yeah. how did you get over that? Took a while. Um, for a long time, <laughs> yeah, I, crazy. For, for a long time, I, I viewed myself as a failure. Um, even though I'd had a really successful 12 plus years in the sport, started out as some undersized kid who just picked it up on Lake Sammamish and took him all the way to Rio um, and finished fourth and was poised to, to win a medal. And, you know, I, I viewed the entire thing as a failure. Uh, I couldn't have, I wouldn't have said that at the time, but that's really what I was thinking. And it took me you know, some therapy. So I, I worked with a life coach. It took me a lot of time and some, a lot of self-reflection and working, you know, through stuff with my now wife, then girlfriend, um, who's also an Olympian and she retired and had her own performance issues at her Olympic games. Um, and so frankly, man, it just took some, some effort and energy to, to get through it and some support from people and then some deep self-work to realize like the outcome of the games, those five and a half minutes doesn't need to define 12 and a half years of, of, of training because, you know, if I would have continued the narrative of feeling like a failure, I probably wouldn't be on the team that I'm on now. And I, uh, the Gunderman group, like you said, um, and I definitely wouldn't have had the success in my personal life, you know, getting married, you know, having the relationship I have, you know, having the money, the, the puppy that we have, like all the things that are fun in the world. Like if I would have maintained that, um, definition of the outcome, I, I wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't have that stuff. Well, that that's, yeah, it's totally true. I, I love what you're saying here. And I, I actually want to even dive a little bit deeper. How has that failure maybe, or your outlook, because you thought it was a failure, but in reality, I mean, you're still at a freaking amazing rower, right? Like you mm -hmm. could beat me, you could beat like hundreds of thousands of people at rowing. Um, but how has that failure, quote unquote, air quote failure, um, helped you become who you are today? How has that influenced you? Man, uh, that, that's such a great question. And I, on my show, I ask somewhat of a similar question to people about, about defining their failures and why they're glad they had them. Um, you know, it's, it really made me do some seriously deep reflecting on what I like, what my character was going to be, what I, what I stood for, what I was all about and how, you know, that defined me or not. And that being the result, you know, I, had a, I recently read this book, um, that, that really solidified this for me is called thinking and bets by Annie Duke. And she's a professional poker player. Um, and has won $6 million playing poker or something over her career. But she talks about how the decision-making process can't be viewed as a negative or a positive based on the outcome. It has to be viewed through its own lens because sometimes the flop is just bad or sometimes it's good. But if you played the cards a certain way, 
like, and you won, but you were, you did it poorly. Like, that doesn't make you a good poker player. That makes you lucky and vice versa. Like if you did it, if you played them right and it just came out the wrong way, that doesn't make you bad. That just makes it like that hand just didn't go your way. And so I thought that sort of that analogy really helped solidify this for me of like, I made a lot of right decisions and put in a lot of really good work through my rowing career. And just because one result went, you know, the way I, not the way I wanted to, that doesn't mean the entire thing was a failure. And I, and I made all the wrong decisions along the way, you know, admittedly, I could have probably changed a couple of things here and there, but ultimately I had to view the process as the process and and divorce it from the result. Isn't that kind of, I just feel like that's so applicable to life in general for anyone, everyone listening right now, failure usually lasts, failure usually tends to last short periods of time. They come in short bursts, you know, but we tend to exaggerate them and make them overcome our life. They start, we, we allow them to define who we are instead of us defining what that failure was in our life mm-hmm. at that point. And, and we, we hardly see them as stepping stones, mm-hmm. um, but they are. I mean, yep. look where you are right now. It's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you, would, you definitely would have thought of that when you were rowing at the Olympics and you, you see the, you, you come in fourth and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, five years from now or however long it was after that, um, I would be at Gunder, Gunderman Group, you know, doing real yeah. estate. <laughs> That's amazing. Right. Um, tell, tell us a little bit about how the process of you overcoming that obstacle in your life. Because, because I feel like people, this is, this is so common. We all, find, we all have different trials and obstacles that hit us really hard. Right. But it's that process of figuring out how to make a failure work for us be something mm-hmm. that turns into something positive. But how did you make that turn into something positive? I'm really, when I sort of had some time and, and I mean, everyone who goes through some kind of a grieving process, time is a component. There's no mm-hmm. question. Uh, so when I had some of that time and I was separated from the Olympics by a couple of months and then ultimately a couple of years, um, you know, it became less painful to think about and to, to dwell on. So that part helped for sure. But really, it was sort of thinking back to like, what was great about all of it? You know, because yeah, the results sucked. But like, there were so many things that I learned, so many opportunities that I was given or, or took advantage of um, that, that were just mind-blowing like whether it was just to you know meet somebody for the first time or compete at a certain race or whatever um then the friends that I met along the way like I told you I I, one of my best friends from my rowing days at UW is from Serbia like I never would have met him ever were it not for this and you know you just pull these and then I was like starting to think like is all the fitness all the accolades that I had you know, all the friendships I've made, all the connections outside of rowing through, you know, business and through just personal connections. And then like, is that all for a waste? Is that really, am I really going to throw all of that away just because we got fourth in the Olympics? Like, no, like that's completely absurd when you think of it like that. And so, I mean, through in a, in a much kinder way, I went through that (laughs) process internally and, and recognized that like, yeah, that sucked. And that's part of my story though. Um, however, I also got a ton out of that experience and I got myself to the point 
where I knew I was capable of a medal. And I feel like, you know, if, if the stars would have aligned and, and it would have happened the right way, we could have won a gold medal potentially. Um, you know, and I, I just knew internally and frankly, that became enough for me. I, at, there was a moment and I don't really remember when it happened, but it switched over from the external validation to the internal. And when I really started to think like, no, I've gotten what I wanted out of this. And I'm really, truly put myself at the top of that mountain. And whether I walked down with a medal or not, like I was there and I knew it and that's all that I needed. That's awesome. I, I just, your story is so inspiring and it's, it's so motivating because I, I resonate with those feelings. And I know questers, you guys are listening. Um, you, you all have had, we've all had failures. We've all had these difficult times that we passed through, but I mean, look at Hans, look at like how he's turned something like this into a moment where now he's like, he's built, I can, you exude confidence. You really do. Like I, I see it in your eyes and now you're at a place where you're like, Oh my gosh, I, I have a stable job. I'm with, uh, I have a beautiful wife um, and you have all these different ambitions and things you can work for now. Mm-hmm. And that failure isn't holding you back. Instead, it pushed you forward. It propelled you forward. Um, mm-hmm. And I love that. And now on top of all of that, you're influencing people who are also going through failures and you're helping them realize that they can go through it. They can push through it. They can make something that's hard work for them. So yep. uh, first of all, thank you. For your experience and Absolutely. having endured that and sharing that with us because that's mm-hmm. that's important um if we can for a moment let's kind of switch gears and, and talk about the life of a realtor the life of a, a business entrepreneur yeah. type fellow H- how's that been big transition as well um so when I when I first transitioned out of uh, rowing, I just was initially going to take a year off, and so that's when the real estate thing came in, and I was just basically making cold calls and trying to set appointments, and then once we got some people to agree to work with us, um, then we would do the deals and whatever that meant, and and it was it was definitely a lot more mundane. Um, definitely like at practice, like when you go to a practice for rowing or just any athletic event, it, it's really, it became really easy for me to see progress and to see that like I'm working on my craft every single day. Um, but when I switched into the business world and specifically into real estate, you know, you're a newbie again, you got to learn everything over again. You got to learn how, and then you're, you're at the bottom of the totem pole on top of it all. So you know, that was initially a very, a very challenging part of it. But once I sort of got into it and I realized like, this is actually really similar to, to training. Like I can, you know, wake up in the morning and I can decide how I'm going to go approach this day. And so for me, it started out with, like I said, cold calls, making follow-ups and then, um, you know, doing, you know, preparing for a listing presentation or something, you know, in the day. And now it's gotten to the point where I'm really starting to become more busy and have more clients in any one time. So, um, you know, I've had to, had to shift that up and, and start to basically take the mornings for me. So I, you know, I do some um, journaling and some reading in the morning. Then I do some exercise with my wife and then we go, play with our dog for a little bit at the park. And then we come back and um, that's when I start either going and looking at houses, going on tour, um, following up on emails uh, or calls. And, and every day from that point is pretty much different uh, because of the, just the nature of our business. 
Yeah. So let me ask you this. Have you found that now as a realtor, because I mean, you spend a lot of your life doing rowing <laughs> and doing it professionally. Have you found that there are similar or things that you've been able to carry over from being a rower that have helped you oh, become yeah. a better realtor? Well, there are of course the cliches of like hard work, you know, goal setting, motivation, like anything you can throw on a poster. I think that applies right <laughs> yeah. to an athlete, to a business person. I think it, I think that applies teamwork, blah, blah, blah. Um, one of the more pointed things that I think anyone who's been in a sport, especially an endurance based sport, but any sport really probably this applies is, you know, those moments when you, are just deep into a race or deep into a game and everything hurts and you've reached your lactic threshold and your heart rate is jacked and you still have to like control your, your blade going into the water or you have to control the shot or the, the shot you're taking in some way um, to have it still be accurate, even though your entire body is telling you to stop, it's uncomfortable, you don't want to do it, right? So translate that into the business world, you know, take, for example, a negotiation that you're part of. Um, my average price point last year was like one, just over 1.1 million. Wow. I did a, I did a deal at two and a half and a deal at 3 million. So I had some pretty big, you know, pretty big rips on on the, on the plate there. (laughs) No kidding. Um, (laughs) But then learning to be really calm and really controlled and really intentional in those moments when it's uncomfortable, especially if there's a multiple bidding situation and not spending your client's money and not freaking out and like spilling a piece of information that just gave the other side the upper hand because it's uncomfortable and you just want it to end. Like I have an ability to sit in that discomfort longer wow. than most people do. And as a result, I think that makes me a lot better uh, for my clients. And when it comes to crunch time, when the money is really made, it's again, like you spend all this time searching for a house and then getting your financing, right. And then it comes down to an afternoon, all the offers are due at two, or you're going to hear from me by about four o'clock. And then we've got an hour, maybe two to really solidify this deal. So it's months down to an hour and you got to be on in that hour. Wow. I, I, that's awesome. That's really cool. That like that mental capacity to endure like moments like that, that that's amazing. Um, it's definitely something that came over from, from rowing as a sport for you. Absolutely. Um, so an, another kind of similar question, a little bit different. Um, how would you define success today? Like what is success to you? What does that mean? Um, well, start with what it isn't. Um, and to me, it is not finances or money related uh, I originally thought that if I just make a hundred grand, like I'm going to, I'm going to have made it and then I'll hit this threshold and I'll be really happy. And I remember last year I had my biggest months today. I made like $60,000 in commissions in one month. One of that, one of those $3 million houses happened and I had a couple of others that were happening at the same time. So it was a big month, biggest month I've ever had. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was sitting on my back porch barbecuing in the summer and all the commission checks had been deposited into my, into my account. And I realized, uh, as I was sitting there checking my phone, I'm like, uh, here I am. I'm probably going to break the hundred K this year. It's May. And here's this 60 or whatever. Um, so it was that moment that I'm like, it has to be something else. And that's kind of what I said in the beginning is like, I'm still, my passion is searching for my passion. And you know, out of that, I have, 
you know, I started a podcast and I am really taking more of a leadership role in my team um, and just trying to not only help myself be better for my clients, but help others around me be better as well through the podcast, through sort of the things I do on a day-to-day basis with the team and really try to help float some more boats. Like that really excites me um, personally, but, but to define it further, I'm, I'm still working on it. I love that. No, it's good. I feel like that is like the, the, the quest of life, you know, you're just trying to find your purpose and continue that purpose onward. And there's no necessarily, I was talking with someone about this. There's not necessarily a point that we reach where we're like, yay, we did it. You know, it's more of just building a lifestyle around doing good forever, like continuously. And I love that. Sorry. Do you, do you have anything you wanted to say? there? Well, there's, there's certainly nothing wrong with like trying to make some money. Like I, I don't think that that's bad and, and money in itself is just a tool and it's a tool that you can do whatever you want with. You can, you can be a jerk with it. You can be philanthropic with it. You can be supportive or you can tear things down with it. And when you view it as that, I think it really changes everything for you. And, and, you know, you can, you can build a brand around something you're really passionate about, um, you know, like a podcast or a social media brand or whatever, or you can, you know, donate and create, you know, opportunities for others. So I'm not saying money's bad, but I'm saying generally speaking, I think that has to be something else. And more importantly, you don't have to identify that something else to start. I think you can be out there and just try and do. And like, if you think I'm going to start a podcast, for example, you try it, you, you commit, you do 20 or 30 or 40 episodes and you're like, yo, this isn't for me. Great. You tried it. Now you move on and you try something else. But the only way I think, at least in my opinion, in my world, if you're going to identify your passion and what success is and all that sort of stuff is by getting out there and getting your hands dirty with it. Love that. That's some of the best advice right there. Um, I, I'm trying to wrap my head because I've been learning so much from you already on this podcast episode and I, I truly appreciate it. Um, I guess maybe to um, kind of end, end this off, what is some of the advice, if you could talk to everybody in the world at one time, like you obviously mm-hmm. have a lot of experience in um, a lot of different things, but um, what would be the one sentence, the one line advice that you could give to everyone at one moment? I would say lean into your discomfort. And do you want me to expand on that or please, we're please. mic drop on that one? <laughs> yeah, that's a mic drop right there too, but please um, expand. I think that at the edge of discomfort, like when things get hard or things get uncomfortable is when most people quit or want to quit. And if you can be the person that leans into it and uh, and, and breaks through that pain and breaks through that barrier and goes to that next level. And I think David Goggins talks about this in a lot of his stuff. Um, but it's like when you hit that moment of pain or like when you think you need to quit, that's when you're probably at about 40%. And when you're able to really just like grit your teeth and go through it, um, have that uncomfortable conversation, you know, ask for the raise, you know, ask the person out, the guy or the girl out, you know, whatever that thing is, like you'll get to the other side of that moment, realize A, you're not dead and B, you have a lot more capacity and it probably wasn't as bad as you thought it was. So I, I just think if you can, if you have those opportunities to lean into that discomfort, you will find your life in a very short amount of time in a very different place. 
That's awesome. I, I don't have to say anything else. I actually think we're going to end it on that note because that, that was fantastic. Uh, questions, if you guys enjoyed this episode with Hans and I and, and you, you, you found it valuable in any way, motivating or inspiring, you could take a little piece of advice from Hans. Please go give us feedback on that and go follow Hans more than anything. I feel like this is what I say all the time in all my podcast episodes. It's so important to surround yourself with people who motivate and inspire you. Um, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help you guys become more wholly successful. And through this podcast, you're going to be hearing people like Hans share their experiences and their stories, their pains, their successes. Um, but more than that, if you want to further your success, make it a little bit more daily, like you're feeling it every day, make Hans a part of your daily life. He's on social media. He has a podcast. Um, I would invite you all to check it out. We're going to have everything in the show notes. Um, but Hans, how can we, what's your uh, Instagram? What's your Facebook? What can we do to follow you? Yeah, man. Uh, the website is hansstruzina.com. All things me are up there. It's H-A-N-S-S-T-R-U-Z-Y-N-A.com. And then on Instagram, that's where I'm most active is Chief Sna, S-N-A-H, which is Hans backwards. Chief Sna. I love that, man. Well, questions you guys heard from me, go check him out, please. And don't forget that we come up with a new episode every Thursday. Um, like I said, we're just trying to help you guys become more wholly successful in every aspect of your life. Um, so give us some feedback too if you guys enjoyed this episode, even if you didn't like it. We want to hear everything. We want to hear the good. We want to hear the bad. Hans included. Um, so thank you so much. And you guys, oh, and thank you, Hans, of course. Oh my gosh. Thank you, Hans, for being with us today, man. Like seriously, this has been fantastic. Um, I never thought I'd have a chance to speak with a, a U.S. Olympian. So this has been awesome. <laughs> oh, man, it, it's been my, my total pleasure. You had some great questions. Uh, really excited to hear uh, this one when it comes out, but also um, the feedback and connect with people. And uh, best of luck on your success going forward. Really excited to know you and, and to follow you going forward as well. Awesome. Thank you so much. And Questers, you guys have a successful day. Thank you. Thank you.